welcome to Pop of Passion. Join me, Jack Sparker, comedian and highly sensitive person, along with a guest every other week as we delve into our deepest passions, from being a plant dad to conquering insecurity with comedy. If you relish the memory of an unexpected late night conversation with a stranger about their obscure passion, the kind where you have tears in your eyes one second and are doubled over laughing the next, this is the podcast for you. Hello and welcome to Pop of Passion. I'm Jack Sparker. I have two guests I'd like to welcome today. One of my guests does not work out, much to the surprise of those with vision. My other guest is so phobic about lotions he gets very dry and staticky in the winter. One winter day he went to turn on the TV and a bolt of and a bolt jump out of the power button zapped his finger and the TV blew out and never worked again. They are both performers, writers, and actors who specialize and have been credited with birthing a purely Chicago-style comedy that is beloved worldwide. If you were to ask any comedian who their favorite living comedians are, they would surely name this pair. Welcome to Pop of Passion, TJ Jagodowski and Kevin Dorf. Hello, Jax. It's Hello. Kevin. How are you? Great. Thank you. Hi, Jax. Hi. <laughs> I don't know if I'm... I don't know if I believe most of that, Jax. I, I don't know. I, well, every living comedian part is real, but the other <laughs> stuff sounds made up. No, honest to God, I have been listening to podcasts for like uh, ever since I graduated college six years ago. And the number of times I listen to comedians talk about comedy and they mention both of you is off the charts. And I have proof because I text my cousin Caitlin every time it happens. I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, there's, I mean, there's, there's no way you get a Kevin Dorf body without putting some hours in. <laughs> uh, well, I feel like I have been preparing for this episode for two weeks, but also I've been preparing for this episode since January 7th, 2015, which was the day that I took my first improv class at Second City. The reason I took an improv class is because I like performing and I knew Kevin did it. And a couple, like shortly after, I uh, got a recommendation to see TJ and Dave. And that is when I was like, okay, so this is the thing that I'm going to do now with my life. And here we are. Kevin and I were both similarly screwed at a probably a similar age. <laughs> right about the exact same. Yeah, exactly. You said 2015, so you're one year out of college when that happened, right? Yeah, like six, yeah, six yep. seven months out of college. Uh, exactly. Moved home. Yep. My Same mom's exact like, age. get out of the house. Go yep. take, do something. Ah. What do you want to do? Yep. I'm like, Same thing. improv, yeah. I was, I was 10 months ten months out of college. Yep. Yeah. I was, uh, I was out of college, but not having graduated it. I was literally out of college. <laughs> they told me you can't come back in to the college. They took then. your took your keys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this our doors are open for learning, but not for you. Well, I think uh, you know that has served you well. So we no, all have. No, you've chosen wisely. <laughs> yeah, we all have a different journey. And um, I guess I kind of spoiled my question, but I was going to ask, um, what is your passion? If you say it at the same time, that would be kind of cool, but do whatever you want. 
Our passion is it's long form improvisation. That's true. That's true. I was just gonna go. I was just gonna do long form and let you finish, <laughs> and it kind of worked out. Yeah, just like that long form that you mentioned as the Chicago style, and I think that's a pretty good term for it because it really was really, really, really developed here. I mean, it was developed in other towns and places and cities and times, but we were around. TJ and I were definitely around. Yeah. For the part where it was kind of getting uh, expanded and applied in new and different and uh, good ways, sort of just, uh, just and it's, it's it's already like evident that, you know, people that we were with and including ourselves are good friends and our other performers have gone on to make it work for other kinds of forms, you know, feature writing and, uh, and half hour comedy on network and all over this, all over streaming and cable too. So people have been using it for all sorts of, of things, but yeah, it's, it's Chicago style. We, we loved it then and we love it now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I am in agreement. I love it. Nothing better <laughs> than some good long form improv. Uh, Jax, I, I wish, I wish there was a cure and I, <laughs> I would offer, I would offer it to you. Uh, I know. This is in a lot of ways. She's, I think she's coming to us for some answers. <laughs> it is. It's like you're now joining the, the leper colony. You're, you're, <laughs> hey, uh, no, you I didn't mean, I joke. It's... A, you didn't tell me there was a door out of it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> It's amazingly wonderful. And it's just, it's something that once it's in your blood, you're like, you know, it's like, it's like a, it's like a heavy metal. You can't, uh, you can't necessarily have it leave your system. Right. Yeah. And it, I find for me, it impacts so many different parts of my life with not just how I act or uh, interact with people, but also I do things. Cause I'm like one uh, improv teacher, Rachel Mason said, Go out and do stuff. Don't go to improv shows every single night because if mm-hmm. you don't go out and live your life, you have nothing to do on stage or talk about. Yeah. And also, you're not a well-rounded person, and that's important. So yep. how do you that's guys true. think you've brought improv into your world? Well, I can, you know, uh, I, I was just what you were just talking about, you know, going out and doing things and that way you have something to bring back to the stage when you return to it. I can, you know, I, I, I can point to them just a thousand things that that uh, that I've done in the very long time since I started. Like I was, you know, I'm in my 50s now and I started when I was 22 and the the road trips I've taken, you know, the, the, the art I've gone to see, the shows I chased down and went to go see the performers I went to go see on a whim, yeah, on a rumor. Yeah, yeah. The, the fancy, like the thing, like I always remember things like going to other, like I'd be touring as a, as a actor, you know, like a second city touring company and being in another town like Worcester, Mass or Lima, Ohio, and just going and just kicking doors, really, and just sort of, you know, trying the handles on the church door and seeing if it's open in the afternoon and going in there. Yeah. And I did stuff like that left and right. I always wanted to just find out you know, uh, where, where the stuff was and go looking for it. And, and, uh, traveling, of course, is a great way to do that, but you could stay in the same city and still just by taking the Western bus down to the, where it ends and then getting on a different Western bus back to where it ends up North, you can see a ton. And that's only, that's two hours. And the yeah. time it takes to listen to two podcasts, you've just been somewhere and back and you've seen a bunch of different stuff, Absolutely. you know, just riding the Western bus. 
Yeah. That's a Chicago reference, so we're, I'm not going to bother explaining every <laughs> Chicago reference. But you picked a very a, a very kind of generic street name, so a lot of people can relate yeah. to it. You There's know, the, a Western, Western in your town, and it has a bus. <laughs> Go take it to the end of the line and back. You'll see what I'm talking about. Exactly. Yeah, TJ, do you find that you take improv into your life, um, like not on stage? You know, like I, I'm always wary. I... There are a lot of uh, us folks who will almost use improvisation as a synonym for a form of self-help that you can bring into, you know, you can bring into the world of like, yes, and, and be curious and don't say no. And, and, and then I'm, for some reason, maybe it's because I just, I just have such disdain for this, for the term self-help. That section of the bookstore was the one, was the aisle I did not want to go down that, uh, that I, uh, I, I try and keep them separate. But I know I'm in a good spot in my in in real life when I'm doing a lot of the things that I would do on stage, of being a really attentive listener, of not worrying about my own my own ego or 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 you know or self, of just being a, an emotionally responsive, attentive partner for someone in in conversation. Yeah. Um, if if I'm walking around that way in the world, then I know I'm I'm in a good spot right now and. In life, I know my head's in the right in the right place, and and uh, similarly, if I am self-absorbed and anxious and all the stuff that that makes a, a performance poor, then I know I'm in that same headspace when I'm out on the street doing something similar. Definitely. That's a great move. Like I I love that, TJ. It sounds like you know you have a bad show, and you're like, well, that was bad. Tomorrow's a different show, and that like you know you can do that with your whole day if you need right. to. <laughs> I mean, that was a bad not interaction. A, not, not a bad way to go. <laughs> that, hey, that 7-Eleven intera- interaction it just seems like a simple transaction at a store. I should have, <laughs> I'm going to go back in and make that a little little something more. <laughs> should I make it more complicated or less complicated? That's the big question. <laughs> it's, it's so like... Do you, does that do it for you at all? Have you been doing that in six years? Like, Do you find that you know, when someone gives you, for instance, criticism or pushback on something, do you take it differently than you used to take it? Yeah, I definitely think uh, I have become less uh, sensitive. I don't think there's anything wrong with being sensitive. I think I was mm-hmm. overly sensitive, but I, I know just improv is like, of all the art forms I've partaken in, it is the most supportive and yet there are times when it is hard and there are people who give you criticism or feedback, but they say it the nicest way possible. And so I find that I, I do that now when I talk to people. I try and pretend like I'm in an improv class because mm-hmm. that's where I've felt so supported in this part of my life. And yeah, I've definitely grown... Um, in terms of like feeling any pushback, even if it isn't criticism, if it's like fully kind, I can mm-hmm. handle it in a way that a couple mm-hmm. of years ago, I definitely would not have, it would have crushed me. Mm-hmm. I no, think I mean, too, oh, go ahead, sorry, no, Kev. No, please do. I think too, Jax, uh, we're, we're talking about the difference, the like the difference in sensitivity as like sensitive, like an antenna as opposed to sensitive, like a blister. You know, like I think we we yeah. want to be sensitive, like an antenna, where 
reading question that's available to us and not necessarily sensitive like a blister and that we could be hurt by by anything that comes in contact with us you know yeah always like keep it rolling you know what I mean it's it's the next show it's the next moment in the show and if you hold on to the negative feelings that doesn't feel good and it affects you and it sucks Mm. And, and when I, you know, I just used the example of criticism or pushback, but really resistance or, you know, or, or like in the antenna, you know, sort of idea, just like data, you know, un, unwelcome news un you know, just the world's way of resisting your path, you know, your, your way forward, whatever stands in your way, even if let's say it's not a person or necessarily, or it just might be, you know, the ability to uh, change some habit or something like you can kind of approach it a little bit differently based on the idea that you are you have enough yeah uh you already have enough to do the thing that you're trying to do that might take trial and error but it's not you're not on a particular schedule you'll you know if you keep if you keep trying it you'll get it down to the size you need and then you can do it definitely i tried to park in um four different spots before finding one today and I just kept thinking, like, it's fine. That's not my spot. And I'm going to find my spot. Wow. And that sounds so stupid. But no, I swear to God. I love it. And as I was doing that, I was like, oh, th- yep, that's improv. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Oh, God. That's imp- That's the sixth chapter of Matthew. That's yeah. just like a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That that's the greatest parking story I've heard in a long time. After the third one, I'm calling everybody and saying this isn't happening today, guys. Like that, that, good for you for sticking with it because that car's on fire. I'm never buying another one, and I'm not recording today after that third one. Let, let me know if it's a girl or boy. <laughs> I mean, parking around this hospital is impossible. Yeah, it's it's really funny how something that seems like a small choice impacts your life, like how I decided to take an improv class and now we're sitting here. But do you remember um, this question for both of you? Like what made you want to do improv, study improv? Because it, it's not, um, from my understanding, um, I feel like there was a huge improv boom. Like right when I graduated college, it was off the charts. There's schools in every city. Um, it's on every podcast, even if they're not talk. even like the, I listen to the Gilmore guys podcast, they're improvisers. They talk about improv theory on the Gilmore and it's like, everything is uh, improv was like huge in the zeitgeist. Um, was that the case when you decided to start improv? Um, or was it, was it a whim? What was it? I don't think there were zeitgeists when we started. Uh, <laughs> was Hadn't invented zeitgeist we yet. Oh my <laughs> we didn't gosh. have a feeling of the times. <laughs> You know, there, but I will say what there was when we started. There was a boom then. If there has been a boom yeah. ever since I started, and everyone has described it as I've never heard of the improv dropped. No, there's never been a bust. It's always for some reason been a big thing that's going on near, somewhere nearby. Yeah, and it's affecting everyone and everything. And oh my gosh, everything is improv. Look at that flower. It's improv. Yeah, that's there's been that kind of talk has been around forever. Yeah. I think part and parcel of that, Kev. It, it also it also keeps us in a kind of a, a a pleasant humility for for the immediately previous generation because it's it i think mm-hmm. everyone feels like the people right before them that those were the best freaking right. people you've ever been. seen yeah. right it must have been right right, right. yeah uh, i don't think yeah like it's 
don't need to go to music or whatever, but, you know, because we know some people that can really play it and uh, mm. all three of us. And they probably have a similar thing, too, I'm guessing, which is the guys I listen to, the men and women I listen to, the kids I listen to, the artists I grew up listening to really, wow, they had it. So, you know, they really were onto something there. I hope yeah. I can do that, too. Which yeah. probably drives me to do it. But I'm getting way off the answer, which is, no. you know, what, what were you trying to do or what were you sort of, what, if you could just like, we do it real quick like what, what was it that what made you want to do it Is that yeah, yeah. My, for me Jax, it was a friend brought me to second city for the first time and i watched i watched that show and then i watched the set and as much as i loved loved the show the set was something unlike anything i'd ever ever seen before i was not familiar with improvisation at all i was you know only familiar with sketch comedy from Python and SNL, like stuff I had seen on, on TV. So I, I just, I was a little bit familiar with that, but when they had people say words and then they took a break and then they came back and did stuff like that was, it, it was my draw with it was a purely pure sense of hedonistic pleasure. I was, I thought it looked so much fun. I thought they looked like they were in some, some form of ecstasy perform. <laughs> performing it and it just looked so gosh darn like magical that I thought like I I remember I had the thought like I don't think I'll ever be happy if I don't try this and then what what locked the box on me was seeing my first set of heralds at at uh at Improv Olympic and I was like well this is another version of that done in a different much more dirty, dirty down, yeah. you know, venue and form. But this even makes more sense to me in a way, because this looks like just like a team of like nerds and, you know, and ex, ex stoners and stuff like these look like my people and they're doing it and they're doing it just next to the bar there. So like, I think I can touch this. Um, yeah. But, but it was the, the, from a purely pleasurable sense that, that the hook was buried at that point. I think I was, that's passion. Y- yeah. Oh, well, I mean, it really, I mean, it did. It, it woke something up. It made you, yeah. you wanted to get involved in, in, in what, you, what, what you, just what you said, like it's accessible. You can walk off the street and doing it. They look like they're having fun. They're together. Yeah. My favorite part of being on a number of bad sports teams growing up was that, uh, was the, was the fun we had, you know, uh, having to run laps after losing a game and it was just, <laughs> like it's i know it sounds crazy but it was really fun it's like we didn't we failed like we had one thing to do today and we, we screwed it up and now but look at us we're just running these laps now aren't we and criticizing each other while we're uh you know while we're in physical pain and this is and we're all on the same page here it's not my fault <laughs> absolutely and I, I, I like that i like that that team bus uh, thing. I mean, I like that. Yeah. I like group endeavors. I will say this. I really reacted in the same way that TJ did in many of the same ways. I was taken to the show. I was taken by my older sister. She said, you'd probably really enjoy doing this. So she was kind of overselling it to me because I reacted kind of with revulsion at the idea of being some sort of arty performer. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but when I saw the people on stage, they were so utterly unpretentious. It was an improv Olympic show at Second City, and all things. But oh. so it was sort of the two things at the same time. But it's completely improvised show. There's three groups, all of them were really, really good, and they were just completely unpretentious. And everything they were doing was so was done with such a you know with such loving care. Uh, just what they were doing with each other, what they were doing with us. 
I mean, they asked us to start the show with a suggestion. I'd never seen that happen before. Yeah. I'd never been asked anything. So, you know, as a, as an audience member, so except for money. <laughs> so uh, I just was like, wait, so we, we tell you what to do. What is this about? It's just immediately, it was so different that it made me instantly want to really instantly try it. Yeah. It's infectious. Cause it's yeah, uh, it really was. community. It's an art and it's just, yeah, it's, it's a life path kind of, I don't want to mm-hmm. sound like I'm like the biggest um, improviser in the like world, but cause I'm not even in this room, but I'm just like, I, I've seen the impact improv has had on my life and others and it touches like so many different aspects that you don't expect. There's also no way to make it not sound like a cult or one of those like multi-level marketing schemes or whatever. Mm-hmm. There's just no way there's no, this is yeah. the way people talk about yeah. their profit as well. But you know, like, <laughs> but, but when he said ecstasy earlier, that what it, that's what cults promise. They promise <laughs> they do. They, they, they promise, they promise the state of, they promise an ecstatic life. Yeah. And they use the same language for a reason because an ecstatic life is a team. They lo- they learned it from, you know, the cult, you know, crooks and stuff. They learned that from reading genuine, you know, people who describe genuine ecstatic lifestyles. And they're just like, oh, just, yeah, if you do this, they'll just, they'll pay us and they'll come in here and then we can lock them down in the basement or whatever. <laughs> but the, don't ever forget, cults are imitating other things that were genuine. Yeah. You know, like other genuine pursuits that can lead to the, you know, kind of this way of being, you know, this way of, you know, not being happy all the time, but being able to get into an ecstatic state on stage and really, really enjoy it for the better part of an hour and come off and go, I was, I didn't think I would do that tonight. I didn't think I'd go there. I didn't think he could know to make something up that didn't exist and make it so real. Yeah. And I so think. yeah, it's not surprising. It's not like cult. They're imitating the language we, you know that <laughs> we're using. <laughs> yeah, and now it's been co-opted by Peloton, and um, you know that that bike. That, yeah. that is, a, yes. is an absolute cult. I'm yes. not going to go on the tangent, but it, I'm concerned about a few people in my life who have a Peloton. <laughs> Just the bike, though, not the treadmill, right? No, it's really the bike. Yes, that's what I, I feel. That's the same way. Yeah. <laughs> Because we have the treadmill and I feel fine. I, I feel yeah. I feel just fine. They're just, you know, you know, they're making a lot of money, you know, selling that hunk of metal to people doing to, to promising them a, a promising a thing you can get for free. They just are. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Like, you know, you right. can get that for free and you don't even have to work out. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Says the guy. There's the guy. Let me yep. I've been this saying guy. this. No one believes me. You, you can be happy without working out. I'm serious. Yeah. I uh, had a teacher um, at Second City, Mark, whose uh, last name I cannot pronounce, so I'm not going to try because I'm Irish and I only know Irish names. Um, he was wonderful. And he, someone asked on the last day of class, we're doing Q&A. You know, so how do I make money doing improv? And he just laughed. And he was like, so you're never going to make money doing improv, but you can use improv to do other things. Um, that can make you some money. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's great, you know, to do other things with improv. 
but I think something that I know from listening to you guys on a lot of podcasts is like, but your first love still is the improv, like on stage in front of an audience because it's its purest form. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And the, the only thing I would add as well is, is whether it's on stage in front of an audience or in a rehearsal room with oh, yeah. the other people that you're working on it with. Yeah. 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 It's, it's the, Kevin and I both grew up on teams, you know, like mm-hmm. we grew up initially on team sports. And I think once that, that gets in you, then there's nothing, there's nothing, then a, a soul victory will never be as satisfying as a, as a, a team as a team victory and and so finding other people especially at the time that we were doing it it was as as noah and um and dave pasquese described it, it was a guaranteed dead end so to find other people who wanted to share in these like same hours as as you did for a guaranteed dead end it yeah. was like all right then we are in an artistic suicide pact together and i love you guys yeah. <laughs> This room is 102 degrees and we're still trying to figure out, you know, how to do a two person scene correctly. You know, Um, there's a bond that is created by people, you know, going for this, this same unattainable goal as well. Like that, that there is no, no perfection that we could achieve so that we'll be done with this. So we are on an endless road that if you get the imagined end is a brick wall and we're all happy to be doing it. There's, Mm -hmm. there's something weird that binds people who are that, that, that form of sick together. Yeah. (laughs) And, and the, the, the other thing is I really do think it is the only, you know, outside of maybe musicians who are also improvising, Mm -hmm. it's the only form where like the, the everyone really is finding this out at the same time it's cliche but we nobody knows and so we there isn't even that separation between performer and audience where they're being performed for so the audience should like sh- sit back relax and just watch this play because we know what we're doing we all don't so we are all going to do this as as a group so there's so even the the the, def, the the defining line between performers and audiences removed as as well mm-hmm. we're all on the same side hoping that this goes well yeah so there's no and, the, and then the discoveries are yeah, they're, the discoveries are for everybody and they're simultaneous and they're universal for everybody who's involved watching and playing. Yeah. So whatever those dis- discoveries are that I made on stage, and you know, we could use improv examples, but it doesn't matter. They're just, they're, they're things that you didn't realize until just now. Yeah. That happens to everybody at about the same time. It's, it's a really unusual uh, kind of pursuit where everybody's on the same page the whole time. And like TJ says, just said they're hoping for a good result so they're willing to forgive the other things that we do that aren't so theatrical uh you know no very little stagecraft a lot of times no props no art direction stuff like that almost no lighting or any of those supporting arts and crafts but they're willing to forgive so much because you know they uh they're just hoping for something that doesn't result in chaos that's a that's a great point because, the, because that forgiveness does not happen with a the audience oh, of a play, the audience of a film, the mm. audience of a concert, the audience of a hell, mm. you know, an art museum. Like that, that audience is. Yeah. yeah, we've all been to plays with people like, oh, did you look at that set? It was so <laughs> ugly. I couldn't pay attention to the the show. And you're like, really? I didn't notice, but okay. 
And yeah. so there's nothing, we don't have those things to distract people. And it's not because, and when I say like, when I just said the, the audience is hoping that there isn't a disaster, that doesn't mean that that's the bar that, you know, that we always do is to make it a non-disaster. We also have to make it about ourselves so that we're making an exhibition of something. You know, we're telling you something about ourselves that you didn't know about us. And maybe we didn't even know about us until just now too. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's a lot more key and a lot more, uh, exciting than just you know having a show with people entertained absolutely the number of times i've come home from an improv show and my mom said how was it and i said oh my god and i try and describe it and she's like (laughs) yeah looking at me like um how have i raised this person who's speaking in tongues and yeah. I'm like, imagine when your mom's asking you about work and that's your answer. <laughs> <laughs> yep. How's work? It was amazing. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. I think the most like cool thing to me is people who can make their passion, their job. That is, seems like my, I have many goals, but like, whoa, that would blow my mind. You know what I mean? Like just to have mm-hmm. your passion keep you in clothes and food, like that's so cool. And like I know both of you, I don't. I keep speaking for you. I'm not trying to speak for you, but I feel like you've done that from where I stand. Do you know what yeah. I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So like, what's that like? I'll tell you what happens a little bit. I don't know why I'm suddenly the serious guy, but <laughs> I'm gonna shake it off after this. Okay, but. If you do, if you took the stuff that you've been learning the last six years, and you next year had a cool job, you know something you'd like, and you're you're performing or writing or both, and you're making like surprisingly good income from it, like, wow, I didn't think I'd get to this. You'll be doing that, and I guarantee you, some part of that job is there's going to be a limitation on it somewhere where it's like, oh yeah, 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 that's great. You're your writing's great, your acting's great, but don't do this. Mm-hmm. And it's that don't do this part of it that's going to make you go, oh, wow, okay, so, uh, all right. So, so this is a job, huh? Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to, you know what I'm going to do this weekend when I'm not working? I'm going to do an improv show. <laughs> and no one's going to tell me that I didn't and couldn't do this. And then I'll come back on Monday and we're going to take it from there. Yeah. And that, so the one feeds the other. It's like, in one place, you're accepting a kind of limitation, and that's the trade-off, which makes sense, so that you can get it done. You know, you're the writing or performing done in an orderly way, and that it can, you know, it can be a transaction where you get paid and stuff. And then you go back to this passion thing, and that helps you work out the whatever your reaction was to the limitations you were dealing with in the job. Right. So you can do. You're using one to feed the other, and, and they really are quite complementary. Like I did, I was on, I was a writer on Conan for nine years. We get to perform all the time on that show. Mm -hmm. So you could write something that day and rehearse it that afternoon, be on TV that night, right before you went to bed. And it was just great. And then you'd come back and do it again tomorrow. We do this four and five times a week. Okay. But on the weekends, I would, I would go do a long form improv because as cool as that job was, there was loads of stuff we couldn't do. Right. But not on Sunday night at UCB. We could do whatever we want. And we did it. And that went on for nine years. I never, Almost never missed a show because I was like, oh, no, I want to. When Sunday night rolls around, I want to do ASCAT. I want to do UCB, UCB with my friends where we don't have to worry about anything. 
Yeah, Kevin no. and I, Jax, were doing, we're working at Second City at the same time. We did a show there together. We would rehearse during the day and then do the show at night. And we did eight shows a week, six nights a week, Tuesday through Sunday. On Monday night, our night, went up to Olympic and improvised in the Armando. Because like, <laughs> we, I don't know, we just couldn't, <laughs> couldn't yeah. get enough. And yeah, well. also like during the day we were improvising for kind of improvising for product. And so the, so the set was even to work out new scenes to try and get into the show. So we still wanted to go improvise for pleasure. And that was, and that was the, the one night off we could do it was to go up then and do it so that we, we weren't worried about making, you know, improvising for something that had to be turned into something. We could just improvise for the sake of improvising. And that's, that's all true. That's exactly right. And that Monday night helped us, from Tuesday to Sunday and Tuesday to Sunday didn't exactly hurt Monday night either because mm, no. right. we come in raring to go on Monday, you and I T because we yep. were, because we had just done a whole week's work in eight shows and we're like, now let's, let's get out and do all the stuff, all the moves we, we don't do there. Just like a, a plow horse without the plow on Monday, on, on yeah. Monday night. Yeah. Wow. All right. Like a, like a like parking when you don't need to park. <laughs> <laughs> we just go out parking. <laughs> and and Jack for parking spots. <laughs> I would say like the 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 upshot of my being able to make a living at the thing that I loved was it, it just kept it kept me in a spot where I felt very fortunate all the time. I felt like the luckiest kid in the world at at each stage at at getting to tour at being put on the stage. I ended up being hired to do these commercials that I did for a number of years for Sonic that were improvised. And at that point you feel super, super lucky. Like um, I, I'd done a couple of small, very small parts in movies, but they were always with the um, leeway that there was going to be aspects of them that were improvised and how, I don't know how the hell that worked out, but mm. that was, you know, you just stay in this. Uh, hopefully I, I stay in this sense of like, uh, gratitude and good fortune. And, uh, and I don't think there have been many days, months or years where I didn't think of myself as being extremely lucky, uh, all the way along the line. And I think I was too. Like, I, I don't think that's yeah. me just being like, Oh man, I guess I was lucky. I think I was I, I, the, for as much talent and Kevin, and I both know people that are, uh, are talented and uh, as talented and more talented than us. We got, we got a decent amount of breaks in there too. Cause that just also has to happen. Sometimes you just have to get lucky. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I like thinking about the gratitude because I think that is apparent. I've seen you both perform live and I think you can tell you're having fun and that creates a better show. So I'm being selfish as the audience member being like, this is great. But I, I'm also watching like, wow, I'm so happy they're happy and like having fun. <laughs> Because there's, that's the best thing is to see someone have fun. Oh boy, it sure is. And you know, it's uh, whether it's on a TV show or in a movie, you can tell, you can smell it when somebody doesn't yeah. want to be there. It's so obvious. And yeah. oh, it is the worst. It's obvious and contagious. Yeah, and oh, it's yeah. super <laughs> contagious, right? The, it always, it, it never ceases to amaze me, Jax. Every once in a while, I'll, I'll teach or do a workshop and someone will be like, this job sucks. And like, I'm in this shitty relationship. Like you're, you're, you're making believe you're making it up that the world is your oyster 
and you invent a job you hate. Like yeah. <laughs> you right. put yourself in it. You hire yourself for a no. job that you despise. Like, do, do you not like, and don't you know then how we feel watching that? Like this, this masochist just gave himself a cruddy job. And now I feel cruddy too. Cause now I got to work this damn job with him as an audience member. I got to watch him go to a job he hates and the world was open to your invention. And that's what you did too. And there's good news for that guy. And I'll tell you something, Jake, this happens all the time. About a year later, that same guy will get asked the same thing. Get up there, go anywhere, be anything, make it as optimal as you like or whatever you want. And he'll go up there. That same guy, a year later, will go up there and go, I love this job. And then the rest <laughs> of the people in that scene will make sure that we see that he has the worst job in the world, <laughs> but that he says he loves it. Yeah. That's now that's starting to look like something I recognize. Yeah. Like the far side a, guy, in a person Elvis. that's convincing themselves that they are valuable at work when they're when they're not. The uh, the far side guy who's whistling with his uh, his barrel full of bricks in hell. Yeah, and, yeah. and, and, and the, you know right. the devil's like, hey, I just don't think we're getting through to this guy. <laughs> this guy doesn't got it. He doesn't get it yet. And but like whether he's sincerely happy or whether he's kidding himself, whatever, he's made the improv choice to say, I dig it. And now we're going to find out if that's true or not. Or it, and if it isn't true, why not? And it's so much better than, I, I, it's so funny to bring up the example of go anywhere, do anything. You can, you're magic, do anything. I hate my marriage. I hate my job. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, okay. Let's start over. Yeah. But they oftentimes you will see it happen when you're dealing with the same student or whatever for a little while, you see them make that turn to go, but let's just say that I view it as something great. Now why? Now now what's happening? What's happening if I think it's good, even though all the evidence suggests it isn't? Yeah. Does that mean I'm deluded, or does that mean I'm a, a, an optimistic person, or what is that? And that's like that's a question we any individual has to ask themselves pretty often. Like I just said, I was someone asked me how I was doing it. I said I'm fine. Is that the right answer? You know, and says, how are you? I'm fine. Well, that's, I'm, yeah. oh, I'm simplifying it a lot when I say fine. Yeah. But here's the thing too, like I don't have to get too dense into improvisational theory, mm -hmm. but if, if you start with something wrong, I hate this job uh, or someone's sad or someone's bummed, the only and natural question is why? What's the matter? What's wrong with you? Why are you sad? When people are happy, how are you doing today? Good. No one ever says why. They just say, great. Yeah. And then they move on to the next thing. So like they also, the, something not being wrong frees you to move ahead and progress with something as opposed to backtrack to come up with the reason why which mm -hmm. only moves you backwards and 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 that is another thing that when you asked earlier of like how do i see improvisation in my life i know i'm right-minded when i look with gratitude or joy towards whatever the thing is next i <coughs> I remember saying to Kev, Kev asked me like, what's, what's going on this week? It's like, you know, you really want to know what's going on this week? I'm trying to stop referring to things in my life as I have to go and mm -hmm. saying, I get to go that not, ah, I have to go see this. I have to go to this rehearsal. I have to go grocery shopping and just like, I get to see this person. I get to go, you know, to this rehearsal. I get to go grocery shopping. If I can bring that positivity into my world, then I can start to move forward with everything as opposed to backwards as to why this sucks. Why do I not want to do this? Why do I have to do this shit? Which is all, re all in reverse. Yeah. You want to get real culty? Yeah. If you look at it that way, then when something genuinely terrible happens to you, you have the freedom to mourn it 
the way you need to. And you can actually recognize it. Yeah. Now Holy, I know. Oh, this really bad, is bad. Yeah, this is, this one's bad. <laughs> I know what, this is sad and I'm sad because of it. And I'm not, I'm not kidding anymore. Like, and I'm not, you know, like, I don't, you know, that, that way you're not just being Larry David, like, Oh, what's uh, someone give me flowers. Like, I'm going to be allergic. That's a, that's just a comedy thing. But you know, someone gave me flowers because I'm bummed out is not a comedy. Mm -hmm. right that's not that now that's suddenly a real thing and that's and so like you want to know more about it i don't know like i, I hope this is making sense <laughs> Jax, yeah. is this where you thought this was gonna go <laughs> this is way off this sounds She's like you invited two crazy space. old guys to oh just... stop no i just i love She's, she's my thinking whole about thing that is... meter now oh no i found free parking in logan square so um no i love seeing where conversations go like i usually come with a couple questions but I didn't want to come with too many questions because, like, this have, is improvised. Yeah, have we gotten to your second question? Have we gotten to your second question? Question two. <laughs> no, I think that's the beauty of podcasts is, like, the things that you don't expect to hear about. So. I guarantee you that. Yeah. Um, I do have a question. Speaking of, speaking of questions. <laughs> there we go. Yes. Here we go. Segway. Um, so. I remember going to a, like, randomly going to a performance of Blessing at I.O. a couple of years ago, um, seeing that Kevin was on stage, like, freaking out and um, being like, okay, so should I uh, say hi after? Like, he's not going to know who I am. For everyone listening, um, Kevin's brother is my uncle. So I, you know, have known Kevin um, peripherally. And I got very excited. After the show, I worked up the courage to say hello. You were so kind. And you gave me the best advice, which was find your people. And I see you two have found each other as your people. And I'm sure there's many more people. Mm -hmm. But why well, Kevin, do you think that's important? Kevin, yeah, uh, well, I would... Good. Okay. This is on topic. This isn't just a, <laughs> Kevin. Kevin has constantly gone through demotions in my, in my eyes. He went from my idol. My, my, but um what what drew me to kevin initially was was idolizing him he was part of a cast and a crew uh literally a cast but also a group of people that i idolized and kevin would, would performed a bunch with steph weir and also with scott adsit um tina and rachel and uh, those were those were my improvising idols, um, and and so initially it was magnetism, charisma, I, uh, idolization that drew me to Kev. But as I got to spend more time around Kevin, there was also um, he kind of taught me how to behave in these circles. It, it, it was like being invited to the round table, and he's like, "Here's how you go about being a good castmate. Here's how you go about trying to help out someone's idea, being Behavioral up and available." Code. You know, like, and literally, it might have just been in rehearsal, and 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 people bring in like a scene or whatever, and and they say like, "Who do you want for it?" As soon as they call your name, hop right up and be excited to go do it. You know, like there's it's little things like that that are like that make you know, when you say like, who are your people? It's like, oh, my people are the other ones that do that. Or in this case, the one who told me like, this is how to be helpful to someone. This is how, this is how to be a good castmate. Um, so uh, David Pasquese also, when people would ask, uh, 
David Pasquese is a, a really influential improviser and a fellow I got to perform a, a bunch with. And, and I often go to him for wisdom on, on subjects like this, but he is a big fan of saying, go find, find your people. And, um, he, you know, when people ask like, well, I want to improvise this way. And my, everyone in my group just wants to make all these jokes. He's like, you're playing with the wrong people, man. Like find the other people who want to improvise the way, the way that you do who want to take it seriously and invest and, you know, and, and do those moments. Um, so I, I, I think it's important because it also sets you free to be the artist that you want to be. You're not working against a, a current. You're working with the people who also want to swim in that direction or pull oars, pull oars in that in that fashion. So um, uh, I tried to actually be of use by the end of that of that question for you, Jack. Good. Now, I'll, now I'll turn it over to Kevin. Thank you. <laughs> you. This isn't going anywhere. Don't worry. This won't be deep. Uh, Dave Pasquese is a good friend of both of ours and. I started in a similar similar situation because when I first started taking class, Dave was on stage at Second City with Chris Farley and and, and, and Joel Murray and Holly Wartell, Judy Scott, all these people that I thought were just phenomenal performers. So I really looked up to him and I definitely idolized them. And then he became a friend and he became someone, he got demoted. He became yeah. a guy I worked with. He became a guy I knew, he became a guy I hung around with. Then at one point he became kind of a tour guide in Rome. And then he got demoted all the way to the down to my driver. He's uh, he he giving me a lift to a Lazio AC Roma game on the back of his Vespa in a rain while it was raining in Rome. And I was like, this is cool. You really look up to this guy. Now I'm going to die ah. on the back of his Vespa. Oh my God. I didn't, I, I was like, I didn't think the story was going to end this way. I was going to die on my way to a soccer match on this yeah. guy's scooter. <laughs> That was a very fun ride. <laughs> I bet. Well, uh, the you said that it was good advice that I told you know that I gave you some good advice. Find your people. What happened? I found my people. <laughs> Tell me. Tell me I, more. I started Second City, and I met this girl who was um, a couple years younger than me. And she had moved from, from Miami to Chicago to study improv. And I had the complete opposite. I didn't think improv was going to be my thing. I was just like doing a fun thing after work. And, but she was so into it. And um, we started taking every single class together. We took every single level at Second City. We took every single level at IO. We yeah. went. We took dramatic improv with Rachel Mason, which is my favorite class I've ever taken. Um, Like dramatic improv is like, that's my favorite. And like, let me cry while trying to make someone laugh. Like, that's my thing. Um, And then, uh, then we did CIC. And, you know, she's one of my closest friends, um, even though she's moved to New York. And I don't, we don't talk as much, but like, I could call her and like, she would answer. You know, mm-hmm. and same for me, but it's just so cool, the connections and the people I've met that I just, you know, you, you don't get to choose who's in your improv class. Nope. You don't. And, but I think. You can choose who you're going to talk to after. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And you see people and you are like, oh, that was cool. Okay. That was, they're like, you know. They they yeah. got it going on. I'm going to talk to them and I'm going to try and be cool. And then like three months later, you're telling them your deepest secrets and you're telling them embarrassing stories about yourself. And like, that's beautiful. That's great. It's a, I, it, it was good. I 
agree with you. I gave you good advice, but I got it. I got it from someone good too. So that's I was just passing it along. I but you, you, that. you used it. Like that's really great. I really, really happy that you and your mate found you know such a good connection. You're gonna. That's gonna be around forever. Your friends performing in New York, doing something, pursuing something. Yeah, writing a yeah, play. Yeah, that's that's gonna come back. You're gonna do stuff together. Right. It's so cool. I guarantee you. I, I didn't, my first improv class, there was this guy from Long Island and uh, he had come to Chicago on his motorcycle because he was going to go to Sturgis mm-hmm. for a motorcycle oh, rally. Oh, really? <laughs> he was like, and his motorcycle broke down. <laughs> so he, so he's killing time waiting for his motorcycle to get fixed. So he went into a, a, a freaked out bookstore and, uh, you know, one of these, we used to have, we used to have interesting bookstores mm. back when I was young. And so he went into this oddball bookstore and ran into our teacher <laughs> to tell clothes. And he's, you know, he, he'd heard about him because this guy was also a reader of comic books and sci-fi and stuff. So he knew who Dell was. He's like, oh yeah, definitely. If you're teaching a class, I want to hang out. I want to come see it. That guy ended up keeping his motorcycle even after it was fixed. He never went to Sturgis. He stayed in Chicago. And 30 years later, he gave me a job on The Mandalorian. <laughs> <laughs> I, that, yep, that's, yeah, that's it. Because he was this interesting, he was this sci-fi geek from Long Island. You know, he's John Favreau. And he just was this interesting dude. And, you know, we stayed friends. He did all sorts of great stuff. He's like a mogul now. But he was just a guy that was looking to find people that got, you know, he was just doing what you were doing, what we were doing, looking for people that get it. He totally found it in Chicago and he, and he used it. But like that, it may, I don't think it's going to take 30 years for you and her to do something again, but it will happen. I guarantee you that you'll do stuff. Well, I hope so. And I, um, you know, I just want to say thank you guys for the inner, this part of the show. I want to leave it on that note. Um, What? I No, I have more. Um, We do a little thing where I ask a pop themed question. Um, oh, no. And there, there's like a bunch of different subjects because pop is a very popular word. Um, so the question that I chose for you two, um, because I know you both have mentioned music, is this. Pop music is known as popular music. I would define it as a song, um, a genre music that, you know, say this song in particular, your grandma knows it and your baby cousin knows it. So mm-hmm. I'll put this out to you um, both, and you can give me one word or you can give me an explanation. What is the best pop song ever written? Okay. I, I'll tell you the, the last time I had this feeling, it was about three in the morning. MTV was still showing uh, videos every once in a while. I called my friend, Billy Bungaroth, who was a musician, a soul musician at the, at the time. I called him at three in the morning and I said, I just heard the best pop song that's ever been made. And it was Outkast's Hey Ya. Awesome. That was the last time I felt like this might be the, the greatest pop song. Yeah, this uh, thing's, yeah, this is going to be a world beater. That yeah, because it's also got some some other, it's also got some, in, the first song I ever think of when someone says pop music is I think of like uh, Sugar Sugar, Sugar Sugar, the Archies. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think of that and like that's gar. That's that's a, like it's it's kind of like cotton candy disappears in your mouth. Like that's bad music to me. And that song kind of like 
makes no impression to me. It washes over and then I'm okay never hearing that song ever, ever again. Hey Ya to me still had some weird kind of like intrinsic soul value to it or something. Yeah, there was something to it. It was like, this is a real thing and it is incredibly catchy and it's like three different songs. They're all great songs inside there. Yeah. And th th so this is, there's two popular references. You know, there's like Beyonce is mentioned and Lucy Liu is mentioned and it's not yeah. like this has Polaroid all these, you know, right? Like yeah. there's all these mentions that make it, you know, kind of pop popular esque or whatever mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. um so that's a, a long answer to that is yeah uh, i'll cast hate cool oh good coming <laughs> oh my video just... i mean it's been popular since the tutor period <laughs> i mean i know it is whose child this is but i caught the later versions of it once it was sold <laughs> selling out concerts i know it is uh, whose child is this, this is I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm not up on my tutor uh, <laughs> top 40. Uh, yeah. Kevin I mean, walked into a scene one time as a dad <laughs> he was in a castle and Rachel was his daughter and said it was like and she was listening to music it was like what is this choral bullshit atonal chant now that's music <laughs> right? oh my remember God. when I when I told you what did what did uh, what did Brown whatever like what did Brown say when he heard Mozart? <laughs> that's not music. That's noise. <laughs> I probably got the references wrong, but it's like everybody's everybody's like good music is someone else's least favorite thing. No, what, yeah. Uh, you know, I, what is the best pop song? Well, well, that's a fair question. I better give it my best try. So you're thinking, hey, yeah, uh, and that's a great answer, by the way. I really admire that answer. I want to say sugar, sugar, just to go for the laugh. <laughs> well, is there another song that's, that has a repeat title that you think very highly of that? Because I know. Moni. Well, Moni, Moni. Well, I thought sugar, I was thinking sugar. of Louie Louie. I was thinking the Kingsman. Louie Louie. Oh, yeah. It has a lot of like, is the basis I'll for a lot of other stuff, that, too. From your grandma to your baby cousin, no one knows the words to. Louie Louie isn't a bad guess. I'll go with Louie Louie. Awesome. No, that, yeah, no one knows the words to it yet. It's still really great. And Louie Louie, you asked me, Jax, in your email when we were still figuring out when we were going to do this, what my uh, what, what 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 like what's a good example of a the passion or predilection or whatever that I had. And I told you that originality has always fascinated me. Yeah. And Louie Louie. Like Dave Marsh wrote a whole book about that song. And it's a really fun, easy book to read. It's not, I, should, I don't know why I say easy, but I just mean it's its just a really Not too wonky, right? It's yeah, it's exactly. It's not a wonky at all. And you don't need to be a musician or even a record fan to care about the way he tells the story. It's about this song that all these bands play. And the, wait a minute, where did, by the way, where did this come from? And it's a really great uh, ex explanation of where we got the song from. And I won't ruin the journey for anyone who wants to go check it you know get into it and find out uh but it's like the this uh for me like that that i i i'll say this about louis louis i haven't ever called anyone about it but i will say this and this is true there's never been a time i've heard it when i didn't want to hear it <laughs> so that's me i'm yeah. saying louis louis i love it that's so cool um, so the last portion of the show is we're going to um, do our passion plugs. 
Um, I'll go first real quick. My passion plug is in honor of the unwavering support I've received from my friend and writing partner, Madeline. Very early on in the process of this project, she recommended I reach out to people I would qualify as dream guests who I was sure would say no. It is thanks to her that I have had the honor of having this conversation. And, excuse me, her recommendation is The Great Pottery Throwdown, which is on HBO. She thinks, um, I haven't watched it, but she says this will bring you joy. This is what she wanted to put out into the world today. So I turn it over to you two. Um, What's your passion plug? We have the same one. It's the same thing. We've been doing it for a long time now, 20 years, I think. I'll let TJ take it. The um, a charity that is uh, goes by the Poverty Alleviation Charities now. It uh, was born um, at Second City by uh, by Heather Winna and uh, Andy Cobb, and uh, I was in on the ground floor of that a long time ago as a Letters to Santa benefit. And um, each each Christmas time, uh, usually we start usually we do the benefit around uh, Thanksgiving. Now we raise money and answer these letters from Onward House, uh, Onward House Chicago, and uh, and Heather and Steve Albini go and fill these uh, fill out all the wishes for the children. Everyone in the family gets a computer and uh, and and set up, and then they get some straight some straight cash because she believes the way to cure poverty is with is handing adults money and letting Absolutely. them make decisions with it. Yep. Um, and so, uh, so that's what, that's what they do. Um, and we're, we're helped out each year by amazing musicians. The uh, uh, first and foremost of whom is Jeff Tweedy, who does it every single year and has single-handedly raised over a million dollars for this, for this charity that, uh, that, that we try and help out with. Kev flies home usually from, from mm-hmm. Los Angeles or New York or wherever he is. And, um, and hangs out there and um, and yeah that would that would be what am I am I leaving anything out Kev? It's just it's it was really humble and one step at a time. It used to be it used to involve going down to the post office and picking up letters, letters. that were addressed to Santa and just <laughs> picking one from a pile where you were like oh, I think I can afford to get gifts for a family of four. I'll go for a family of five just yeah. to it, push it one you know yep. and you do that and then you'd end up spending like. Oh, about a month's pay on Christmas gifts for people you'd never met. Mm-hmm. And I drove down there with your, with your uncle, Chuck. I drove down to one of these uh, apartments once on the West side with, with Chuck. And we did this, this was back when I was just doing it single-handedly, although he helped, he was very helpful. Uh, your aunt and uncle were help, very helpful. They kept the stuff that I was buying. I kept shipping it to their house <laughs> so that when I get there from New York, I could take it with them. And, you know, they, they kept the stuff at their house. We drove down there. We, we we, we doled out the stuff. It was really cool. It was a great uh, day and afternoon get to meet these folks and, you know, and, and making their Christmas uh, a little cooler and stuff. And then like, then because of Heather's organizational, you know, uh, energy and her just her genius for scaling things up and attracting people to a good idea, which she's really uniquely great at. She got all of these incredibly great artists and giving people together and we've the been breeders together. the breeders came Jax. Yeah, the, I, the if you breeders, don't know the breeders and, yeah yeah and, uh, yeah the, the you know she gets the deal sisters and you know yeah. and fred armison and all these wonderful Saint vincent and, yeah. yeah and the wow. people that were in the mecons and all these great 
bands and because they know all sorts of music people because Steve is a record engineer and they they make it happen every year at Second City and we've been doing it every year we didn't even skip last year we did a virtual one and we'll be doing it again at the end of this year so awesome. come to it yeah. here's see the, what here's, we're talking about here's yeah. the wraparound for you Jax. this started when i was in a i was in a cast of the film named andy cobb on the etc and we were doing the set we were doing the improv set afterwards and uh and one of us said to the other like man do i love improvising and the other one said like yeah you know wouldn't it be great to do it for 24 hours and then andy's like i'm gonna make that happen andy found a the very very first one it was the only time it was done for a homeless shelter he found this place called rest this homeless shelter up on the north side the only one that was seven days a week 24 hours a day and the very first one was done because we wanted to improvise more we hadn't we didn't get we didn't get enough of it and so that's what that's what bore it out was this passion for being able to improvise with our friends and that's that's how it started and if it. you like improvisation and let's say like you you love improvisation, <laughs> you won't buy our 17 <laughs> test it you, <laughs> watch it watch it for 24 hours straight whoa see if you yeah, see if you still a, like it yeah. if you we'll do then after that <laughs> all right i will definitely talk to me after you know. that <laughs> you'll see us uh this november if you come by i guarantee mm -hmm. you'll get in it's not a problem getting in yeah I'll be you'll there. get in Come three o'clock in the morning. We'll be there. We'll be awake. We'll be on stage and we'll hang. Awesome. And you and you'll see what happens when people get together and just give the heck <laughs> out of what they have to people they've never met who need it. It's pretty it's it is passion. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's why I think this part of the show is important, because giving back is everything. And the fact that when you give back things come back to you is just a cherry. That's not what it's about. You know what I mean? It's really about people helping other people and the journey and the circle of life. So I want to thank you guys so much. This has meant so much to me, and I have had the best time. Um, okay. Is there anywhere you want people to follow you online? If there isn't, that's cool. Nope. Yeah. Nope. Please don't look us up on. <laughs> no, I absolutely respect that. I wish I had that. Um... Nope. The less you follow me online, <laughs> the better luck. off we're all gonna be. Good luck finding us. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, go. Please go for it. <laughs> yes. This I have is... no social media accounts, so happy hunting. Yeah, that that's that's an inspiration to me. I wish I didn't have to be online. Um, all right. So thank you all for listening to Pop of Passion, produced by Christine Ferreira. Please follow the show on social media at Pop of Passion and popofpassionpodcast.com. Go out and be the light, living your passion.